0: Hello and welcome to Stop Your People Need You. I am Luke, and with me, as always, is the leadership and management development colossus that is Mister Danny Gray.
1: Thank you very much. I feel now really guilty about the 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 uh, the ribbon I give you over the introductions when I get such a such a great introduction as that. You should. I now have to step up to the plate on today's podcast to that marker, I believe. Indeed, indeed. And and
0: today um, we're going to pick up on a subject that I think we've talked about or said we would talk about loads, for quite some time. time. We really have and the last time was only a few weeks ago on the Great Connection mini-series that we did mm. and in part three we were talking about how you connect with your people and you once again brought it up around, well in fact I was talking about one of my challenges of dealing with difficult conversations yes. and having difficult conversations he said no we've got to do that now and Danny I know that this is a subject that you you feel really passionately about so I'm going to hand it over to you to tell everybody or start us off with how difficult conversations can be great conversations.
1: Yeah it, you know what it's, it is an interesting subject it's an interesting subject and what I find quite fascinating because I think that Personally, this is definitely a journey that I continue to be on, and I think I will be on it probably for the rest of my my life. Um, But what I've tried to do along the way is to share some of my thinking around that with others in a bid to inspire them to see things differently. Um, You know, I, I, I can recall many of situation, um where I've had to have one of those tough conversations, you know, whether it's in our personal lives or in our professional lives, you know, a a conversation I've dreaded, you know, a conversation I'm thinking, I really do not want to have this conversation. And I I think even people that say, oh, it doesn't bother me at all. There must be something in their mind at the time that isn't enjoying it. You know, whether it's a conversation... Give you a few headline stats. So, th- thinking so, a conversation about somebody's performance at work. Um, a p- conversation I remember having to have about somebody's personal hygiene, which was incredibly difficult to do. Um, a conversation with somebody that was having a really tough time in their personal life, w- but was continuously late for absolutely everything they did. You know how oh, these are you know great examples of going how the heck do I tackle this? You know, the, the, there's there's, a, there's so much complexity to it. And um, at a point in time, I was tasked with the job of making some people redundant. And uh, I, I remember just, at that, that just hating it, right? I, I mean, I, I cannot dress it up in any of that. I hated every single minute of every bit of conversation where you take something away from somebody that either they love, they need, they're dependent on, whatever it may be. And... I just remembered not just the the process of the weeks that led up to having to have that conversation because I knew about a month before we were having the conversation that I was going to have to have it. So I had a month of misery. Then the conversations through consultation, all the bits and pieces probably took about, you know, probably more than the 90 days it would typically take. It was probably more like three or four months. And then even the aftermath of that, of trying to, of seeing what happened to those that got made real, what happened to them and and their journey. And then... uh, probably five years later easy five years later maybe a bit more um i i had a conversation picked up a conversation with one of those people that i'd had the unfortunate task of making redundant that day and um i chapped, had this conversation with his chap and he said to me he said hey how are you mate and i still had this and this pain rushed through me this anxiety of Oh, my word, you know, I haven't spoke to this person for all these years. What are they going to say? And he went, Danny, can I tell you, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, what? He said, honestly, mate, he said at the time, and a better backstory on this particular gentleman, this gentleman, he he trained as a car mechanic. And um, he, he worked as a car mechanic, and he got made redundant from six different jobs he had. He just was like, you know, the most unluckiest car mechanic in the world. You know, you kind of get a job and then the garage closes down. I can't believe it. And in his late 20s, he decided, that's it, I'm done. So he went to work in a call centre. And he went to work in a call centre and he worked there for years and years and years in a really career he didn't particularly enjoy doing, but it was the most stable job he'd ever had. And what he liked was he could pay his mortgage, he could put food on the table for his family, he could have a nice little holiday every year. And he just said, you know what, I don't particularly enjoy the job, but it's completely consistent and stable. And that's where I found him. And I took him out of that job. and put him in a job that would grow his career, that would give him opportunities, that would open new doors. And then I took it away from him. And he says to me, Danny, that was the best thing ever happened to me. And we explored it. We must have spent an hour and a half on the phone talking about, the fantastic journey that he'd been on and how he felt that day that he was told his job was going in a deja vu moment to picking himself back up, to creating an opportunity to getting into the role he was then in. Um, and he was then in a really great, and it still is in fact, still today is in a really great, fairly senior learning and development position. And I got in my car that day and drove home and I thought, you know what? Part of a difficult conversation is because we're so focused on the bad part of something instead of looking for the good. And I mean, making somebody redundant, there's no, feels like there's no good in it, but it's about to open a new door for their future. And maybe if we went into these conversations with a, an optimistic outlook, a tricky one, this one to sell, an optimistic outlook, maybe our approach to it would change. But more importantly, on the behavior breeds behavior, maybe the output for the individual might change. And that's where it always got me thinking. And that's what brings us here today. And
0: actually, that's the first time I've heard that story. Or, or, or unless I've... I, uh, yeah. And And yes, it it's yeah. extremely powerful. Yeah.
1: I don't tell it to very many people because it's a yeah. very personal story to the individual. But more so, I need this context and setting to tell it. Well, thank you for sharing it with
0: us. And it's extremely powerful. My reaction to it is, okay, I, I, really, I really get that. Even in the worst of situations... I guess at the risk of bringing it into the detail really quickly, I get it. And even knowing, going into every conversation, it can and will be a positive. It took a, a tremendous amount of um, self-awareness of that individual. Yep. For for them to step back and take that time. Maybe they were at a maturity in their life where it's, I've like, been made redundant six times. You know, this guy sat in front of me has headhunted me internally and asked me to ride the career ladder. So, also a a, a bit of um, what what, do you call it? Uh, uh, Internal strength not to despise the person that's potentially put him in this position and put his family at risk and, and, and so on. I guess if I was to think about that situation, there's a couple of things that stand out for me. Number one, obviously, you can't tell. The individual that you're making redundant to be optimistic because all will no. come good. That's a little bit like being in a relationship and going, "It's not, it's not you, it's me." Yeah, um, yeah, but you'll yeah, be yeah. fine eventually. Yeah. Don't worry. No, don't about use it. words that, like don't, don't worry. It'll be okay. <laughs> don't worry. It will be okay. That was the first one, and I think we need to come on to that. I think the other part is around the the how in terms of. Our friend Bob Iger, again, going back to his brilliant book, The Ride of a Lifetime, there was a moment in there at which he talked about you, – you, people may have heard of the um, – and forgive my um, profanity here in terms of um, yep. shit sandwich – You know, uh, in terms of giving feedback or having a a difficult conversation, that's always one that I've found intolerable in terms of I'm going to come in, I'm going to start the conversation really nicely, then I'm going to drop the bomb, and then I'm going to come (laughs) in with some positive optimism, which we've just discussed. Great, yeah, cheers. That felt really nice at points. It felt like you were tickling me at times, but then all of a sudden you punched me. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what am I saying? Uh, Robert Iger said in there, if you've got a difficult conversation to have, don't start with the wrong intention. Go in there and be direct. And I think this is the part for me around how difficult conversations can be great conversations. One that I'm not going to spend too much time trying to talk to anybody on here about because I'm not in a position to be talking to people about the best way of doing it. I, I really think it's, it's a, such a huge development area still for me in my career. But in your opinion, then, Danny, learning from that, would you have done... Do you remember the conversation that you had with him on that day? Is it ingrained in your memory? And if so, would you have done anything differently now that you know the positive outcome for
1: him? And if so, what would that be? 100%, right? And and here's the point, right? Because what you said there, so first of all is, you know, I'm in no way in a position to be, you know, talk about this, you know, confidently because it's a journey I'm on type stuff. That's my point right from the beginning. Is I, I don't think I've necessarily mastered this, um, but I do think it's, it's um, an inclusive conversation. I also think, and this is really worth saying, is it makes by reflecting on this subject makes the less important difficult conversations so you know the conversation you know you're late for work type stuff a little bit easier to have right because I use that in in that incident I'm going to come back to the redundancy conversation in a moment but let's say now instead of if I go I've this conversation with you know a really good member of my team but they're always late for work every day you know and it's like oh no it's like I have a great relationship we socialize outside of work but you know it's almost like they're taking the mick you know they're, they're, they're taking advantage My mindset is, when I've had that conversation, they'll know that they're overstepping the mark and their timekeeping will improve. So the great part of having this conversation is the pain, the bit I'm suffering now is going to go away by having the conversation. So now I'm going to the mindset of, not, oh, this is going to be really uncomfortable. This is going to be a great conversation because by the end of it, this person's going to recognise that they're not quite where they need to be. And actually, most of us, if we're doing something wrong, we'd probably want to know about it. Sometimes as well, we just need a bit of a kick up the arse to change our behaviour. We need somebody to say, well, hang on a second, you know, this is enough's enough. And we go, yeah, do you know what, you're right. I needed that kind of a, a nudge to remind me and then things get better. So that's the great side of it. And that's the bit I find for day-to-day, everyday leadership That's why a difficult conversation can be a great conversation. But to the point that you make about the conversation I had around redundancy, would I do things differently? Yes. And here's the reason why. I went into every conversation pitying me because I was thinking about how I was going to react, how I was going to cope, what I was going to do instead of making it about them. And if I looked at it through their lens and thought, put myself in their shoes, would I have positioned things differently? Yes, I would. Because what I would want to do is to help the person cope with the situation that they find themselves in. But instead, I was trying to help myself cope with the situation that I found myself in, even though it wasn't my situation. I was just the person tasked with it, giving the person the bad news. Yeah. And I think about, you know, in every conversation I had, I think I started with I'm sorry. And it's like I can imagine the person thinking, I don't give a toss how sorry you are. Think about how sorry I feel for the situation I find myself in. And I remember I'm gonna break this up. So I'm sorry, what does what does
0: that change to? Yes. Okay. Because cool. I'm loving this. I'm like my eye yeah, no so, one can see me, so but my eyes are popping. So, like this is the first time I'm hearing it. So I'm sorry changes to what?
1: Yeah. How are you feeling? I don't know because I don't really know why I'm here. Okay. Well, that's interesting because if somebody responded with that situation, that in itself tells you that some of your positioning has probably not quite been where it needs to be, because without information, people then start to make up their own minds, don't they? They start to assume what's happening. So if that's a situation, so we've got to this point whereby we failed to communicate what's taking place, I'd be going right back and thinking, right, first of all, how do I, how do I position the conversation yeah. that we're about to have? And what I'm not going to do is dance around the subject because that's what Bob Iger yeah. says, right? He says, don't he dance he around did. it. Right, we're sitting here today, Joe Blogs. We use that as a generic name for this conversation. Hi, Joe. Unfortunately, I find myself in a position where this conversation is about your redundancy. And so in turn, you know, really cut into the chase if we've not had any positioning because the moment we've got that word out of the way, now I can... Re- now they're going to go, well, what's going, what's going on? What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? Now I've got to manage that sequence of events, right? Because what, but where I'm sitting there going, right. So hi, Joe. Um, well, as you'll be aware, it's been, um, it's been a challenging few years for us as a business. And, you know, whilst I don't, um, I can't say that I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's, um, it's well, you see, the thing is Joe, that you know, I mean, I, you know, it's, this is out of my hands, Joe. Yeah, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do anything about this. And so, in turn, I, 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 and so it's about that. You know, one year, Bob, get to the point. But I think for me, you know, the in the moment conversation that you can have on that day in this particular situation, and I, and I don't want this to be about redundancy because that's an awful subject anyway, but. In that particular moment, you're going to have to deal with the here and now. But it's what you do afterwards is where my point really lies, is how you then, what conversations do you have? How does that conversation end? What's the next conversation you have with that person? What's the next conversation? And I don't know, I I don't have an answer, right? I don't have an answer. But what I do know is if you go into that conversation centered around how it makes you feel instead of having a going into that conversation looking at the situation through the other person's lens that's the bit I think it becomes then about you it doesn't become about them and and I think this is the bit you've got to, you've got to, I, tell you, I tell you, here's the thing, right? So, I've talked about Stephen Covey loads of times, right? And there's a great example of Stephen Covey being on a being on a job in New York City where he uh, had been working all weekend because he'd been trying to get this piece of work out, and he was trying to help this company land something. And he said, "I left work on a Sunday morning. I was shattered. I was tired. I'd worked all night. I hadn't slept." It had been really stressful. We had loads of really difficult conversations. And he gets onto the metro, the subway train. And he said, it was really quiet. He said, not my carriage, there was three groups of people. There was me, one group. There was a lady, an elderly lady who'd been doing her shopping. She'd got two big shopping bags fulls of, of, of grocery shopping. That was the other group. And the third group was a gentleman with four young children. And the four children were running havoc in the train. They were running up and down. They kept knocking the ladies shopping over. They were screaming. They were making all this noise. And, you know, Stephen Covey says, I'm sat there thinking, look at this chap who's doing absolutely nothing. And it's filling me with rage. I'm thinking, oh, that's really inappropriate. It's really unacceptable. So eventually, he says to this chap, he says, excuse me, sir. He said, but can you control your children? And the chap looks or glances out of his dazed stare and says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry." He said, uh, "My wife's just died." And he said, "And I, I, I don't really know what to do." And Covey says, "It's amazing how your perspective of a situation changes when you suddenly look at it through the world through a different lens." Yeah, and. I've always found that to be fascinating and I always think that's the point to this is you go into that conversation about somebody's lateness, a redundancy, somebody's body odour, whatever it may be, put it yourself in their situation. How are they going to see what you're about to say and can you position that in a different way so that it's, it's seen in the way you intend it to be seen, it's, it's understood in the way you intend it to be understood? Maybe. I don't know.
0: Danny, I think you're doing yourself a, 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 a real disservice. If I, I, I'm listening like one of our listeners now. And you said, I, I don't think I have the answers. I think the challenge is there's too much information out there around the tactical side of having difficult conversations. And only a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference between leadership and management. Yeah. Okay. And the difference in weighting of emotion being more leadership-based, management being more... Yeah, less emotive, yes. more tactical. Although having a difficult conversation may appear to be a management tool. Yes,
1: because people tell you to remove the emotion from the discussion.
0: Remove the emotion. Um, what you you may need to remove the emotion from the conversation, but you can't remove the the emotion from your preparation. Correct. And and you actually referenced Susie. She knew what emotion would be there. She'd weighed up all of that emotion. And I think that's a huge light bulb moment for me and I hope for our listeners that actually don't stop doing you and your emotion and start doing theirs. Yes. Fundamentally, you've got someone sat in front of you that has emotions, that is a person and therefore you need to consider that Because you can create a strategy for difficult conversations. You can consider the different types of people that you have sat in front of you and the different types of responses and the different types of objections that are going to be placed in front of you. All of those things that the world is littered with fantastic tools that you can use. But first and foremost, think about the other person sat in front of you. And I think that's really, really powerful, Danny. Um. I think there's a, it's a step away from the redundancy. You, ma- you gave me a bit of a light bulb moment as well. And, and, and just to, again, go back to Robert Iger, because I thought he, the way he, he spoke was, was really good. And to share something from his book was if you're giving feedback on something where you want to make changes and you're an expert in that area, the default is to start in the detail, start small, go big, so it's uh here's all the things that I want you to change. They're probably 10% of change, but 90% is great. His theory was and this isn't blurring the lines with the s sam- uh, you know the s sandwich on this one. It was he was he, he also said if you're gonna if you're gonna have to have a difficult part of the conversation, start big. Yep. Then go small in terms of It's not about saying here's 90% of all the great things, but here's the bad things. It was sometimes often the default is to, you'll see someone do an hour and a half conference speaking piece and you'll pick out five things that you would change. Yes. But that makes up 3%. Yeah. So again, just to bring in another small tool and not to get away from your lightboard moment for us, that's another great way of doing things is I know when I'm watching a facilitator... Or a new facilitator, existing facilitator for an entire day, I can, the way I feel, the way the audience responded, the way the learning came to life, the way they facilitated is almost a default. Wow, that was amazing. And all of that, again, coming back to the emotion, I don't talk about that as much. I get straight into the granular. Yeah. I get straight into those small things. And it's not about being picky, it's about being passionate about my subject. So just another tool in terms of when you're going into the conversation, less about, you you know, you don't, it's not about wrapping it up in another way and it's entirely different, but just another thought for for those listening around giving some developmental and challenging um, uh, uh, feedback Feedback. or having that conversation. Mm. Think Again, go back to your point, Danny. Think about the person in front of you. Yeah. They've spent three, four weeks, maybe even six months preparing for that moment. And you focus on five little things yeah. and not one, one, one hundred things.
1: One of yeah. the
0: big things. So start big and go small is a great way. Not starting with the good, going with the bad, ending
1: on the yeah, good. Yeah, no, no. Don't, please don't ever do that. That's awful.
0: It, it's awful. It's more about a waiting of your time in the conversation and yeah. also getting those people bought in. So, Danny, I've got one final question for you. Go on, then. I've I've got a difficult conversation to have. Because you referenced it earlier around, you know, you've got that person that's always late. Um, Our head of design and delivery, for most of the meetings that I have with him, is always late. And I keep having, like, in an immature way, I keep digging about it and and digging and making jokes. Um, But the problem is, you're always late. How do I have that conversation
1: with you? Well, that's right. I mean, there's a great example, isn't it? How do you have that conversation with me? Well, I think, you know, in this particular situation, (laughs) I would hold it with a very clear cut to the chase, this is no longer acceptable. Really? Yeah, I would. Yeah, definitely, I would. Because, you know, I I think the nipping things in the bud piece, you know, when you kind of you know, you talk about the context of, or the concept of, you know, kind of trying to trying to not address the situation, but I'll try and sussily drop it into the conversation type stuff. Right. But actually, when you nip something in the bud, that is cutting to the chase, cutting to the point. Right. And okay. the longer that conversation is delayed or put off, Right. then it becomes more and more difficult to have because the person is going to say, hang on a minute, you know, I've done this for, you know, this, you've never bothered about it before. Why is it suddenly you're gripe now? And you may think, bloody I've dropped loads of hints. But if they've not noticed, or they've not been aware, or they've, it's just gone in one ear and out the other, right. actually all that subtle dropping of hints has done nothing whatsoever. And so the situation has been exasperated. Right. So have we still got to have that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Too right. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm removed from that conversation in this situation. My job here is to give my views and opinions, not to respond to right. the point that was being made. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that just happened. I thought I just
0: ha- that was another subtle hint on our podcast for everybody to hear. But I guess
1: we'll still have to talk about that another day. As I always say, never give advice to a person that gives advice for a living, <laughs> <laughs>
0: but here we find ourselves a brilliant episode danny uh the spotlight was on you i i I put you under a bit of pressure there to 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 do it on your feet um and it, 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 as the colossus that you are um <laughs> I enjoyed it, it was good you, you you were brilliant um so i, I as a listener actually for for 80% of this podcast. Um, thank you um, for sharing all of those things and some no of those stories that you've not shared with a lot of people. For everyone else out there, thank you all for listening. Um, and we will see, speak uh, in a week. We will indeed. Yeah, for sure. Take bye you for now. Bye